Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. We're continuing on with the class of 1999 with one of the bigger comedy hits of the year. This this was a really interesting year for comedy. Um, this one was from early on in the year, but it's in its... Until I revisited it recently, I I kind of forgotten just how good it was. It is Harold Ramis's Analyze This, and joining me to uh, discuss the film is a filmmaker that I've had on here before. He directed the documentary in In God We Trump, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Christopher Maloney. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I remember watching. I think I. I think the only time I had really seen this in its entirety was in theaters in 1999, and mm-hmm. I had for. I enjoyed it at the time. I think it sort of, to a certain extent, sort of gets forgotten, and I think a big part of that is because shortly after this came out, The Sopranos debuted. And mm-hmm. so that basically <clears throat> the the big one of the big framing devices of that is James Gandolfini's uh, mobster going to a therapist played by Lorraine Bracco, and so I think analyze this kind of gets uh, sort of its its place in terms of mob movies when it comes to cinema mob comedies sort of gets forgotten to a certain extent because of that, but it really shouldn't because what Harold Ramis does here is a really entertaining movie. Yeah. The Sopranos is pretty much the same premise, except, uh, not, not funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's definitely the more serious end of the, of the, uh, spectrum. I, I, I wasn't terribly surprised when I read on, um, on uh, IMDb that De Niro, or sorry, Scorsese was, uh, Warner Brothers had approached Scorsese about directing this, and yeah. he turned it down, and I'm I'm kind of glad he did, because first of all, he gave us Bring Out the Dead this year, which was really good, and mm-hmm. then, but also, I feel like you kind of needed a filmmaker with a more comedic sensibility to make this movie work, because of how high concept it kind of gets. Yeah. What, <clears throat> what I like about this movie, well, first of all, I, I was late to seeing it because when it first came out, I was 13 and, uh, I, it was rated R. So yeah. I, I couldn't get in to see it on my own, but I remember like it was talked about a lot that year. And the big deal was that Robert De Niro was in a comedy which yeah. <laughs> was like back then it was still kind of a novelty. Mm-hmm. Um, he had done like midnight run with Charles Grodin, which was pretty much a straight comedy. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like it just wasn't, it just seemed like he was stepping outside of the box, which I think people were mm-hmm. excited about. And then it actually turned out to be pretty good and pretty funny. But um, yeah, what you said about Harold Remus, like he's, Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies, which Harold yeah. Ramis directed. And I like that he can, I mean, like he obviously knows what's funny and he knows mm-hmm. how to be funny, but he also knows how to put a film together. 
Yeah. So <clears throat> like the beginning of Analyze This, <laughs> when you see the like the black and white photo montage and mm-hmm. um, De Niro's voiceover narration, Yeah. it kind of like to me when I see that, it kind of lets me know that I'm seeing an actual movie in the hands of a filmmaker who knows how to make a movie, not just going for laughs. Right. Cause like I, <clears throat> I consider, um, comedies kind of, there are comedies that are more like serving the genre of comedies and just mm-hmm. getting laughs at any expense. And then there are movies that are very good, well done movies that happen to be funny. And I would put this in the latter category. I would definitely agree with that assessment. Um, and yeah, I I can't help I couldn't help but think rewatching this with that introduction. It sort of felt like a spiritual sequel to Goodfellas, and like yeah. what might have happened to Jimmy Conway had he, you know, had, had he like gotten out of prison or help. whatever or whatever. <laughs> and um, I and I agree with that assessment where it's 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 a it's a movie that just happens to be funny and. This really does. I I think that's one of the keys to why this movie works is that it feels so much more. It feels very much like a genuine mob movie, as opposed mm-hmm. to a comedy set within the world of organized crime. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. There, are other than like, in addition to the photos and the narration at the beginning, um, mm-hmm. I think. I think just having some of the names involved that they have involved are, are other indications that this is going to be a movie to take seriously. Yeah. So um, De Niro's one, Harold Ramis, and then also um, Kenneth Lonergan was one of the, mm-hmm. one of the screenwriters. Yeah. However, um, like, and we know him from gangs of New York and um, Manchester by the sea more yeah. recently, but I, he was on Mark Maron's podcast and he said that he's never actually seen analyze this because yeah, because the, by the time the movie was made, it had been been rewritten so many times that Mm. anything that he had done was just completely unrecognizable. So, Hmm. which makes sense because I don't, I don't see him like doing broad comedy the way that, yeah. Uh, this kind of is, but yeah, Kenneth Lonergan's name on there just, Mm it's another sign that this is going to be like a movie to take seriously. Yeah. And I was, I was blown away when I saw his name in the credits. I'm like, you're kidding me. I did not remember that he was a part of this. And, and I mean, when you, when you say what he said, when you recount what he said on uh Mark Marin, it, it does kind of make sense because of the fact that it's like the year after this, he'd done, he did uh you can count on me. Like you said, yep. he also co-wrote Gangs of New York and Manchester by the Sea. And so it's one of those things where you just really don't, yeah, you don't really hear that voice of his. But at the same time, I kind of, I, I wonder if that was one of the things where that, maybe that draft that Lonergan had done is sort of the one that they brought to Scorsese because oh, yeah. of the fact that they ended up working together on gangs of New York. Um, mm-hmm. but 
yeah, I the thing that's really fun about this movie is the way that it's it's kind of a natural extension to the movies like Goodfellas and Casino that Scorsese had done in the nineties in the crime world. But it's also it it has those moments where the humor comes out of it very naturally. And one of the things that I really kind of like about this movie and where it sort of fits within the larger conversation when it comes to the class of ni- the movies of 1999 in a way that this in a way this movie is really it's it's yes it's obstinately about a mobster who um is having anxiety and panic attacks and he goes to a therapist that's a funny set but really i think one of the things that's kind of interesting about the way this plays out is that it's also looking at traditional traditional ideals of masculinity when it comes to De Niro's mm. character and I, I that's a big thing that was going on in uh, the movies of this year if you really think about it huh. how, um, how would you connect that that idea with other movies well, I mean, I I think if you look at movie, I would I would think if you look at movies like American Beauty, if you look mm-hmm. at movies like Office Space, if you look at movies like Fight Club, and even um, I recently recorded a podcast on David Lynch's The Straight Story. In a way, yeah. they're all movies that are looking, or especially the first three that I point out, they're all those three movies. I feel like are the main characters are finding themselves less than satisfied with their personal lives. And they're trying to figure out they're, they're having crisis identity crisis crises. And Mm -hmm. I think a part of that for them comes from the idea that the, the notions of masculinity that we sort of grew up and were raised to, you know, believe were the case weren't necessarily applying to them in the lives that they ended up living. And I think for analyze this, I mean, we have very, you know, I mean, if you look at Goodfellas, if you look at casino, if you look at, um, movies, you know, about organized crime, a lot of those characters, have there there's very particular type of masculine um masculine char- characteristics that are brought to those characters and brought to writing those type of characters and de niro's character in this movie is he he's at a point where he he finds himself even though he doesn't realize it at first he he's kind of questioning it. He's kind of figuring out. It's like what's going on? Why why am I feeling this way? Because at the first when he first has his first panic attack, he goes to the hospital and the doctor's telling him what it is, <laughs> but he, he just refuses to believe it. And one of the things it's funny because I've been in therapy for about a decade now, and watching this movie after that decade is really kind of interesting because of the fact that. One of the things that I've sort of figured out for my per, for myself 
throughout that process is that the ideas that are passed down, you know, were passed down from my parents' generation to my generation, my grandparents to, you know, so on and so forth, how those ideas, they, they, if you adhere yourself, there's nothing inherently wrong with adhering yourself to those ideas, but if you come to realize if you come to realize that they don't necessarily apply to you and you have something and that can really mess you up. And I think that's one of the things that um, Paul uh, De Niro's character here is really struggling with. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it like that, but I think you're right. Like when the first time he reluctantly, like goes in to see Dr. Sobel mm-hmm. um, like it in secret because he's, it could be bad for his image right? as a, as a crime boss. If other rivals found out that he was seeing a therapist because it would be seen as a sign of weakness. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole, uh, you know, he, that's the whole masculine idea that he has mm-hmm. to keep up. He doesn't even want like, you know, he tells his associate jelly not to even listen so he doesn't want him to hear what he's talking about. Yeah. And and then, yeah, and then Dr. Sobel's telling him, well, it sounds like you're having panic attacks. And he gets very defensive about the mm-hmm. word panic, which I guess also is seen as a sign of weakness. Um, yeah. So I, I guess for me the biggest t- – well, so when people see it now, if they've never seen it before, I think it is less groundbreaking because, as you mentioned – we're more, I think as a society, 20 years later, we're more familiar with what therapy is. Yeah. More of have experience with it. Mm-hmm. And um, we're also more comfortable with uh, De Niro doing lots of different silly things. Yeah. <laughs> like up till then, he hadn't, I mean, that was before Meet the Parents. And mm-hmm. then like the next year, he did Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. And, uh, like he wasn't hosting SNL yet or appearing on that. So right. it, <clears throat> we have, we have not, we're like, we're all familiar with a uh, uh, funny Robert De Niro now. And back mm-hmm. then that was like a really new thing for us to get used to. Yeah. And, and the thing that I, the thing that I like about De Niro, one of the things I really like about De Niro's performance here is that he's, he's not playing it in, he's not playing it, he plays it very straight and yeah. lets the comedy come out of the material and the situation that he's in at that moment. And I, I, I like the, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's this in a way, this is when you were talking about, uh, you know, how we view therapy now and sort of how therapy is the therapy process of going to therapy is not as much of a mystery now as it was, then even though, I mean, there are still movies where and TV shows where when it's done, it's kind of played with the familiar tropes that we're used to. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, it does also, this movie in particular also plays to that idea. Now, Grant, in here with with uh, Vitti, Paul Vitti, the De Niro character, it's a valid one. I completely see why, you know, why he wouldn't, why it would be, to his disadvantage and embarrassment for other members of the 
of that um of the other crime families to know because it would be a sign of weakness and that also kind of points to the stigma that's always been uh brought up when it comes to therapy and uh the idea of mental illness just the idea that if you go to therapy it's it's a sign of weakness which it really isn't um because of the fact that it's 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 an important part for some people for a lot of people it's an important part of a process that they need to go through in their lives sure yeah and in the movie uh therapy well the psychiatrist um played by billy crystal is kind of made fun of a little bit too like his practice is made fun of and like he suggests to paul uh says like when i'm when i'm angry i i punch a pillow yeah and then paul (laughs) Paul unloads a few rounds into a pillow Mm -hmm. like i felt like that was kind of in a in a snide way kind of offering commentary on psychotherapy almost yeah. like for a guy like Paul Vitti, like what's hitting a pillow going to do for him. Mm-hmm. And it, I think almost like the bigger idea was it therapy is great, but it doesn't solve everything. Yeah. You know, like he still ends up, I don't, I, I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't seen it, but he still ends up like having to pay a penance for certain things that he's done for mm-hmm. being in, in the mob. Yeah. Yeah, and and the it's it's it does play to the idea where it's like especially for a character like Paul, the traditional ideas of therapy that, you know, Ben, the the Billy Crystal characters espousing or trying to get him to do, they're just not going to work because that's not who Paul is. That's not who Paul Vitti is. And right. it's you know, and you brought up the you know, the hitting the pillow because yeah why how is that going to help him but mm-hmm. um this this is it's just really such an er- it's such an entertaining movie and i and the thing that's great about it is with uh dr sobel billy crystal's character is that he's got some anxiety too because not only is he just getting married but he also has anxiety about his practice and I think his career as a therapist, because of the fact that his dad is a renowned therapist, and so naturally there are going to be issues that he has to deal with in a way, the same way that uh, Paul Vitti does. Yeah, it's it's interesting that what ends up being the thing that connects them is that they both have these complex relationships with their fathers. Mm-hmm. And like that... I mean, I, I feel like the movie didn't didn't have to go there. Like it would have been funny without it, but that's like yeah. the extra mile that they went to add some gravity to it. And I remember reading in this um, this interview with Harold Ramis, where he was talking about how the thing that I, I don't know if Robert De Niro like especially was looking for a comedy, but the thing that interested him about this story was he wanted to uh, research what it was like for someone who has debilitating panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the interesting thing for him. That was the thing, that was the way that he could see his way into the character and into the movie was by um, researching it 
as a method actor the way he does everything else. It just mm-hmm. he's also going to be funny along the way. But like the symptoms that are shown for Paul Vitti having panic attacks, suffering from depression, um, even uh, sexual dysfunction. I mean, mm-hmm. those are all those are all there are details in that that are grounded in fact. Yeah. Well, and it's also funny because like you like you said earlier, he's he's very sheepish about starting therapy. He wants to start in private and he he's really not a he's really not a good patient for a lot of it because obviously he he it, in a way there are times in this movie where he sort of reminds me of uh Bill Murray's character in What About Bob? Where yeah. he's he's just passing those boundaries that are supposed to exist between therapist and patient. And, um, you know, I mean, he, he follows him, he follows Sobel to Miami, ends up inadvertently crashing his wedding. And, uh, (laughs) it's, it's one of those things where it's this, this movie is very, the thing, one of the things that's so wonderful about De Niro's performance is he doesn't, he doesn't overplay it. He's not hamming it up. He, he and he he takes and to hear you talk about um sort of his way into the material it it makes a lot of sense because of the fact that when those moments when those moments of catharsis happen it's probably it's a really great performance by de niro and it feels it feels very genuine as opposed to something that's just kind of played for laughs cuz the the laughs in that scene come from the context, but it's not necessarily from the it it's not from how De Niro's playing it. It's just in the the particular context of where the movie is at at that point is what makes that funny. Yeah. Yeah. And what about Bob? Um Richard Dreyfus says that Bill uh Bob Wiley is a textbook narcissist and mm-hmm. I, I guess that's true of all vd too yeah i hadn't connected before about how they both um <laughs> follow their psychiatrists on their vacations yeah. <laughs> and uh, like it doesn't occur to well like well actually even dr sobel says to paul vd you're not used to hearing no yeah. very often it's <laughs> not hear it all the time but it's more like no no please no <laughs> yeah <laughs> This is a really great pairing for Crystal and De Niro. I mean, this is, I can't remember, like, other than, like, Monsters, Inc., I can't remember anything else after this that Billy Crystal did that was really, really good as far as the type of work they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so this might be one of the last really great performances from him. Uh, Lisa Kudrow plays his fiance and wife. It's kind of a thankless role, unfortunately. I I kind of think so, at least. Yeah, I think she did. Um, she, she brought something to it, but um, yeah, yeah, she's not given a whole lot to do. Mm-hmm. If um, I remember, but if I remember the sequel correctly, I I feel like she's, I feel like she's got a little bit more to do in the sequel. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I, I saw it, but I don't really remember much from it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, Billy Crystal, um, 
get, like when I think of him, I think of when Harry met Sally and City mm-hmm. Slicker, Forget Paris. And I like all those movies, but yeah, I guess after analyze this, there's not, not, not much is coming to mind. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a shame, be, but I mean, I, I think it was just, it's one of those things where sort of the landscape of comedy was kind of shifting at this point. And it was going more towards broader comedies as opposed to now. I mean, Grant C. Slickers is a pretty broad comedy, but at the same time, there really wasn't a place for an an actor like Billy Crystal outside of like animated films. And I mean, he did some. It looks like he's done some TV work and. But otherwise, yeah, he hadn't really done much as far as um, movies and big movies after this. Uh, I I do want to talk a bit about Harold Ramis because it's it's a real shame that we lost him when we did. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a shame that after this, he didn't really do a whole lot that was particularly good. I didn't. I didn't terribly, I didn't dislike Bedazzled, but I didn't think it was, it, it wasn't that great. Um, Analyze That is okay. It's it's an okay sequel. I always kind of thought so. The one of his yeah. I did really like after this was The Ice Harvest. Um, I really enjoyed that movie. It was kind of, it, it was kind of his spin on the sort of Fargo dark comedy type thing that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And then his last feature was Year One, which was oh, not God. good at all. But yeah, um, I remember uh, when Year One came out. Roger Ebert said uh, he said Harold Ramis is one of the nicest people I've ever met in this business, which is why it makes me so sad that Year One happened to him. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean that was that was it. I mean, he he directed a few episodes of the or no, he only directed one episode of The Office, I guess. After that, um, yeah. looking at his filmography on IMDb.com, um, it's it's a shame because I I I sort of think because and it's funny because of it. It's kind of funny that I brought up well about Bob because I was gonna say I I really like this as a point of discussion with regards to somebody like Harold Ramis who. Obviously, he's best known for Ghostbusters and Stripes, and he did Caddyshack as a director, Vacation as a director. Um, he he's he's known and Multiplicity, which I'm I'm not a huge fan of, but at the same time, I really enjoy what he was able to give uh, Michael Keaton in that movie. Yeah, it's it's material. not. Yeah. It's not without its charms. Yeah, it's one. He he's one of those film. And then you mentioned Groundhog Day, which is absolutely wonderful. It's it's one of the best comedies ever made. Um, yeah, I agree. Without question. And uh, it's this is I I feel like because of the fact that it's it not only been so long, it's been about five years since he passed, but it also been so long since he'd done a really great comedy you know bringing up what about bob that's directed by frank oz and when i talked about bowfinger earlier this year for this series um 
it it's it makes me it's sad that Frank Oz and Harold Ramis is sort of the same way where it's like to a certain generation like people don't really appreciate just how good filmmakers like those guys are or were yeah. in right. the comedy genre and I mean I I think Ramis as far as uh his his career his I mean, it's not a brief career, but it feels brief. Um, as far as feature filmmaking, it's like he he really gave us. Even if I I'm not a fan of all of his movies, I I feel like I'm all of his films are interesting to me, even the ones mm-hmm. that don't really work because of what he might be trying to do with them. Right. Uh, so the character of Jelly, who you mentioned earlier, was played by Joe Vitarelli, who is somebody who was very much typecast in a particular type of mobster role. I, I think this is probably, of the performances of his that I've seen, this is probably one of the best, if not the best, he probably ever gave. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's, he's hilarious. He's... That- <laughs> It, it's, his face has so much character yeah. in it. Yeah, and it's 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 a performance where I mean he he just he's very much himself. He he's very he he plays it like he would play any of his other characters. It's just he happens to be playing comedic material as opposed to uh serious material. And uh he's he's so wonderful in the way he is especially I think my favorite moment one well, my favorite moment of his is uh when they are getting married and he's he's like up there sneaking up to try to get Ben to uh go see Paul and I, I think it's the day of the meet at the end. Um mm-hmm. and he's he's trying to get him to do that and I it's just that scene is so per- so so perfectly played it's uh really hilarious i'd forgotten chaz palmentary was in this movie as sort of oh, yeah. uh paul yeah. paul Vitti's biggest rival and he, right. he's got some good moments in here the the phone call with uh he had he and paul have is probably one of my favorite moments in the entire film it's it's just really funny the way that plays out and the the way it starts out one way words and they're both like yeah who's this yeah you know who this is <laughs> oh who is me <laughs> and they're saying they're trying not to say something but at the same time you it it's that um it's it's just such a fun moment there um let's see it's, it's nice to see like two actors like that who are so good at sizing each other up yeah. And uh, they're both, like, it's almost like a, it's a pissing contest. Like you yeah. could take that, <laughs> take that scene between the two of them, like mm-hmm. kind of literally bumping chests against each other almost. And it could, it could be in a drama <laughs> yeah. like where, where violence is just a, just a wrong term away. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, one, like one little tweak and it becomes very funny. It's nice seeing two actors who know what they're doing just kind of go at each other. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it helps that... I mean, Paul Menteri, we had seen play very funny before because he was Oscar-nominated for Bullets Over Broadway, uh, the Woody mm-hmm. Allen film, which I, which has always been one of my favorite Woody Allen films. Um, and uh, so he, him... Him being funny is not terribly surprising, but you know we talked about De Niro and the the ways that he's funny in this movie and the way he delivers lines and the way even the way he uh, plays off of uh, Jelly is like one of my favorite uh, interactions is when they're trying to calm he's trying to calm Ben down after the uh, guy falls flies out the window at their first weighing attempt in Miami. Yeah. He he goes, hey, did they find that suicide note? And Jelly goes, no, but they will in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and lines like, you get a dictionary and you find out what this closure is. And <laughs> there there's just really wonderful moments of dialogue and, and character beats. And this this is... Um, and the reason this is so important to have a comedic filmmaker like Ramis is that we, we talked about it earlier where it's like you're building this criminal world that even that you could legitimately take seriously because of the actors who are involved. And then it's the tone of the dialogue and the tone of the character interactions that make it a comedy. And it's the situations that build out of different situations that make it a comedy. Now, this makes me wonder, do you think that uh, Scorsese could have done it? Do you think he could have pulled it off and it funny? Um, I'm going to say no. I, wasn't, I don't know that he wasn't. That's an excellent question. I kind of wondered about that myself because it's funny because I I remember reading, um, you know, when uh, De Niro got convinced him to make King of Comedy because De Niro was looking for comedy. If you yeah. watch King of Comedy, it really kind of isn't a comedy. No, it's not. It's. I mean, I mean it, it's there's, there are moments of dark parts. comedy, to be sure. Yeah. But yeah. it's not a comedy. And yeah. I the thing is, it's like, I don't know if... I think the closest thing to... I think the closest thing Scorsese has really done to comedies, at least based on what I've seen, are After Hours, which is mm-hmm. more of a dark comedy, and The Wolf of Wall Street. And... Yeah. I don't know that I don't know that he would have necessarily because of how much he had worked, I think probably because of the fact that he I think I wonder part I wonder if part of the reason he didn't want to do this is because he didn't want to get sort of pigeonholed where people are saying, Oh look, Scorsese's making another gangster movie. You know, like right. we see so many people being reductive about his filmography online when it comes to his Marvel comments, even though right. like not even a fifth of his films are gangster films. But um, whether he could... I'm not sure if he could necessarily have 
gotten the tone that Ramus did. And I think it takes a and 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 that's not a knock on him. It's not it's yeah. not a knock on Scorsese. I just don't know if it's I don't know that that necessarily because I mean even Wolf of Wall Street is basically a drama, but yeah. it's got a lot of really funny moments in it. If he had gotten this movie, if he had been given the opportunity to make this movie now, I th- think maybe there's a chance he he could have done a really good job with it. But I don't know. At the time, I just don't know they necessarily had it in him. Right. Um, I don't think. Um, yeah, I uh, <clears throat> like I've seen in interviews and on talk shows, he is a funny guy. Oh, yeah. But that never, I don't, yeah, that's just not his gift. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, I, it is important that, I mean, it is important that Ramus is, and the fact that it's also important that Ramus is able to build worlds where comedy happens, but also feel very real and very, authentic and i think that's one of the things that and i mean even though he didn't direct ghostbusters i mean i think that's one of the things that he probably brought to the material along with dan Aykroyd in writing the first ghostbusters certainly where it's like they set up this world that is where very plausibly you could have um ghosts take place as well as these guys being very funny guys in spite of yeah, in, in spite of that world, and, I mean, I think that's in that's the most the most important thing is whether how is the comedy being coming out? Is it coming out of the characters, or is it coming out of just the filmmakers trying to be funny? And I think it's important that the you know just basically doing slapstick humor or. You know, I mean, I think the Zuckers had done a uh, mob parody earlier the year before this, which was it was basically one of their broad spoofs, and that's the wrong way to go with something like this. Oh yeah, um, with Lloyd <laughs> Lloyd Bridges, yeah. I think. Yeah, it was called Mafia, and I think that's it was right. the la- and I think it was the last thing Lloyd Bridges ever did, and it wasn't that good. No, um, I had forgotten about that movie. Yeah, I I barely remembered it until I was talking right there. But yeah. um, I I think that's that's um, I I I just really it was I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to rewatch this movie because I'd forgotten a lot of the entertainment value in it and. The ending where Billy, where Ben Sobel is um, basically in sort of a fish out of water situation of his own, uh, where he's sort of being, Jelly's convinced him that he has to represent uh, Paul at this big meeting that's taking place that we've heard about throughout the entire movie. Uh, it's, it's a really nice showcase of Crystal hamming it up. And but it also feels very much in character for the character. Doesn't just feel like oh we we need to give Billy Crystal some wacky moments. It it also feels like hey this is 
he he's sort of in a way he's sort of um I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Uh he it it sort of feels like he's he's um trying to uh do he he's basically he's basically going off of what he knows of you know organized crime through like movies and through sort of what he's seen from Paul, but obviously not really not really knowing what he's doing. Yeah, that's true. He spent however much time with Paul Vitti, <clears throat> kind of more or less getting immersed in that world. And still, when it comes to that <laughs> meeting, he knows I mean, he doesn't do a very convincing <laughs> job of like showing that he knows the terminology or yeah. talking about, which you know just makes it funny. And I think one of the things that's really great about that scene is the fact that he he basically turns his his his, his therapist um, eye on the other people with the meeting, and that's what sort of throws them off guard. Yeah. So. Right. By kind of um. <laughs> yeah, he like when he asks um like why someone feels like he always has to raise his voice yeah. and then suddenly everyone else is like kind of a, like they've been asking them the, themselves those questions all along. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a, like another way that um, psychiatry in general is kind of used as a device in the movie, which I guess like it, it's, it helps the movie that we, that it was 20 years ago and without, like I said before, without as much, common knowledge about psychiatry yeah. as there is now it, it helps that mm-hmm. those questions might have seemed more poignant or like his insights might have seemed more poignant now than if the movie were made today right yeah and i mean it's one of those things where it's like it's hard to it's hard to you you can't really make it's it's hard to do comedy when it comes to psychiatry and therapy and stuff like that you you kind of have to to a certain extent you have to take that idea seriously even if you sort of poke holes in it like we've seen like the the funny thing about um paul vd translating you know hit that pillow paul into shooting the pillow is that that's who that's who paul vd is and that's how he interprets that and it's like that's where it's funny you understand why billy crystal's character sobo's saying that but you also understand why uh vd reacts that way when it's like well this is that doesn't help (laughs) yeah 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 like out of the two of them um one of them is going to absorb the other yeah Yeah, I mean, one one character like takes all the oxygen out of the room, mm-hmm. and then Doctor Sobel is just kind of like desperately trying to survive it. Um, it made me think of when Marlon Brando was in The Freshman, mm-hmm. and he he was kind of doing a parody of uh, Don Corleone. Yeah, <laughs> and then in this movie. Robert De Niro was kind of doing a parody of a few characters he had played. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's even the, the Godfather, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. dream sequence. which, which I was, 
Go ahead. Well, it's just, I was going to say it. It seems like, I mean, both Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro were both known for being such intense um, method actors. Yeah. That it, it was like when they did finally get to the part of their careers where they seemed to be more interested in having fun and not taking themselves as seriously. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of surprising, but it seems like, I guess maybe for Marlon Brando, it was the freshman. Yeah. And for, for Robert De Niro, it was this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you brought the uh, Godfather reference, which is hilarious because they play it very directly, very much in like shop for shot. It's, it's, it borders on parody because they're yeah. basically recreating it. The The thing that I couldn't help but think it though, is that shouldn't that be Godfather two since that's the one that De Niro's in. Right. <laughs> but I mean, there's not really is, I, I mean, I understand why I understand why they did that scene because it's a very, very powerful scene. Godfather. It's about Fredo, you know, mm-hmm. it's about Fredo watching his father die and not really being able to, help him and that ties into Paul's character and um there's not really a scene like that in Godfather 2 but still it was a little little amusing thing that I thought about um and I mean <coughs> he he played he played um he he played Don Corleone in Godfather 2 so I mean that kind of works right. but yeah it's because of that it's kind of a fourth wall thing yeah <laughs> an inside joke because I, I remember like when I watched it um, thinking if, if you follow the logic of Dr. Sobel knowing the Godfather movies yeah then he's familiar with an actor named Robert De Niro who played Vito Corleone <laughs> in the second but now he's he's treating Paul Vitti it's yeah it's a weird rabbit hole you can you can go down if you really want to yeah I'm not even sure if we're going into fourth wall that might be like fifth wall and just completely yeah. shattering the celluloid altogether at that <laughs> point with that logic um yeah i mean it's <laughs> it is it is definitely one of the but it it's such a funny it's such a funny moment it's because of the fact that Ramis just he he just recreates the scene that's all he does and it's it is just completely perfect for the point that uh, Sobel was trying to get at with uh, Paul Vitti at that point. Yeah, I, I admire how with recreating that scene, um, the lighting was spot on. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just like <laughs> Gordon Willis. Yeah. So, and that that's another, like one of the themes that we're hitting on is that uh, this is a real filmmaker at work. Yeah. So, like, <clears throat> a lesser filmmaker probably would have would not have included the detail that I'm that I notice when I see it, which is uh, the colors in that scene. Right. But it's there because it's Ramus. Yeah, because it does sort of have that washed out feel that uh, Gordon Willis's cinematography in that movie in that particular scene has, and that's that's one of the things that makes the uh that that makes it it it's a loving tribute to it more than it is oh we're gonna make fun of this scene it's not what they're doing we're we're going to recreate for specific purpose for our movie and that's one of the things i really like about 
Um, did you have anything more that you want to uh, bring up? I will say I really like Howard Shore's score here. I complete. I had kind of forgotten that he had scored it, and it's one of those things where it's like you you forget that Howard Shore is a is is a composer who's capable of doing. I mean, this isn't this isn't a jolly comedic score, but it's it it plays to the truth of what this movie is as far as being a comedy about uh the crime world of crime. Yeah. Well yeah, it's another one of those um names that when you see it you're like, okay, this is a movie then. Yeah. Like this is an actual <laughs> film that we're gonna be watching. Mm-hmm. But there there are a lot of uh, comedies especially like you often don't think of the score mm-hmm. um even even some good comedies you don't it doesn't whoever who wrote the music doesn't really come to mind yeah uh, but yeah someone like howard shore you pretty much have to take him seriously um i know that <clears throat> like i said back when it was released and i was too young to go see it it seemed like everybody was talking about it for a while. And I know it opened at number one in the box office. Yeah. And I remember Roger Ebert liked it. Um, but yeah, I think it holds up. Oh yeah. I definitely do as well. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, and at some point I do want to rewatch, analyze that to see how I feel about, it. but at the same, I, I know I felt if I remember correctly, that one goes a bit broader when it comes to the comedy. And I think that's part of the reason why it didn't really work other than the fact that comedy sequels hardly really stand up to the originals. But no, I I was very pleasantly surprised and pleasant, not pleasantly surprised, but pleasantly um, delighted about the fact that this movie holds up as well as it does. And I mean that's that's a tribute to Ramis as a filmmaker. It's a tribute to the work that he gets out of De Niro and Billy Crystal and everybody in this movie. In realizing the best way to approach this movie was, okay, so we're going to tell you a story. It just happens to be funny. It's going to have some elements that you're familiar with, but it's also going to have some it's going to be the combination of those elements that I think, you know, you, you're going to leave the theater, watch, stop watching and realize that it's, you know, this is, this is what it has to offer. And I think that's one of the things that this movie really does well. Yeah. I mean, De Niro kept doing comedies after that. Uh, To me, they never matched this one. Yeah. And Billy Crystal has continued doing movies after this to me, they haven't matched this one, so it was really, and same with Harold Ramis too. Yeah. Um, so it was really, it was really kind of the, the high mark in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I think the only one De Niro did after the only comedy De Niro did after this that is even remotely on this level is the first Meet the Parents movie, and it's because of how familiar and how. For, it just how familiar that concept is and the interplay between him and Ben Stiller and how on point that is. I mean, that that's really the only one that I can think of as 
probably even remotely close to this. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining me today, Chris. I'm glad we uh, were able to talk about this. And I'm looking forward to our uh, other discussion uh, where we talk about the talented Mr. Ripley for this uh, series. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing this series because uh, 1999, <clears throat> I do remember being, uh, like I said, I do remember being 13 years old. I do remember being subscribed to Entertainment Weekly and mm-hmm. reading about movies that I was too young to drive out and see. But <laughs> it's, it's nice to see them all get revisited now. Yeah. Yeah, and so many of them still hold up remarkably well and even get better uh, with age. And I think that's one of the things. It's a tribute to what the filmmakers who made films at that year and sort of what they did and how they did it. And it's it's it if if I do something like this again, I'm I'm not going to do it quite the same way. But I'm I'm really glad that I I did this the way that I did to start out because of the fact that it gave me an opportunity to revisit all of these movies and to really uh, watch these films and just sort of see, parse out sort of what I think I might have identified with back then and sort of how I feel about now and how they hold up. And yeah, this is this is one that holds up very well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. I'd like to thank Christopher Maloney for joining me today to discuss, analyze this. It was a really great discussion. I'm glad we were able to do it. Uh, he will be back on the class of 1999 to discuss the talented Miss Ripley, and I'm looking forward to that discussion as well. Thank you for joining me at the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Thank you for sticking with us on the uh, class of 1999 series. It's just hitting the... Uh, it's in the uh, back end, back stretch, and uh, we're getting ready to uh, finish things up for the year. And it's going to be a busy wrap up. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for joining me uh, at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema, as well as Sonic Cinema, www.sonic-cinema.com. This is Brian Scuttle, and I hope you have a good day. Thank you.